0: My name is Louis Menjivar. I'm part of the teaching team here, and I also get to be the young adult pastor. Um, but, you know, we're going to be starting a new series this weekend as we move into the new year. We're calling it Windows of Opportunity. And we're going to be talking about this a little bit. In fact, for the next couple, five weeks, Pastor Terry is going to be sharing in this idea and uh, kind of guiding us through uh, how we can position ourselves for the new year. But I get the the privilege of launching us into it. And so I'd love to ask for the Lord's blessing over this word, for him to be able to speak to us, to have our full attention in these remaining moments. And so um, if you'd like to join me, I'd love to do that. All right. So God, thank you. First of all, that you, the light of the world, stepped into our world, stepped into our human experience. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, you not just invite us into a life with you, but you then give us a light to shine for you. And, uh, I thank you for that reminder. I thank you for uh, the ability that you give us to participate in what you are doing. And uh, as we kind of sit on this weekend, Lord, as seeing what has been and hoping for what is to come, we pray, Lord, I I ask for your spirit to have full access to us, that as we hear your word, something of your word for us personally would begin to emerge and that we would be able to start to have a handle on how you want, might want us to position ourselves as we enter into this new season, this new year that you have before us. We pray for your blessing, for your uh, life-giving word to go forth, to, to speak to us. And uh, we ask for your presence to remain. We pray for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So we're talking about this idea of windows of opportunity, and as kind of a launching point into this season together, I thought we could share on um, just kind of a simple thought that if we receive it, could provoke us to some profound um, kind of venturing into how we might want to position ourselves for the new year. And it's 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 this really is that our life, the life we have that we've been given, it, it is a window of opportunity. But it's a window of opportunity meant to fulfill the tasks assigned to us by the Lord. And so how we engage this life will determine whether or not we will fulfill his assignments that are specifically meant for us to become a part of his story. And and so how we treat this life is so important. In fact, one of the uh, letters that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus, um, he wanted to try to framework a way of viewing time for them. And uh, if you open up your handout at the very bottom, there's just a couple verses that he wrote to them that capture this idea of what it might look like for us to... um Take advantage of the windows of opportunity we may be given in our lives. And he says in verse 15, he says very clearly, look carefully then how you walk. I want you to not just kind of walk out your life without care. In fact, do it full of care and not as unwise, but as wise. And then he has this curious statement that may shock some of us, but may speak of of certain realities. And he says, listen, I want you to make the best, making the best use of time because the days... Are evil, And I think in such a time as this in which we live where the reality of unspeakable evil has happened in our culture so recently in time, it's not a stretch for us to recognize that there are things in our world that, simply put, are broken. And there are things that happen that we know should not happen. And no matter how much we may understand this, it never ceases to shock us, stun us, pause us, when it enters into our framework and invades our space and starts overcoming our thoughts. See, there is a great need for redemption in our midst. And Paul says, as we seek to live this life out, he's encouraging the church of Ephesus and anyone who would seek to engage in this word together that we are to use this time we've been given to the best of our ability for for the goodness of what God is seeking to do in our midst. Our life is not meant just to be lived out carelessly but it's an opportunity for us to engage with to fulfill what he wants to do through us and you know, I was, um, I was thinking about this, and I was reminded of a story that I read several years ago, and some of us may be familiar with this story. It's uh, taken out of a book called uh, A Thousand Marbles, A Little Something About Precious Time. And the story goes, you know, I'd like to share with you, the story goes that there's this man who got up on a Saturday morning, he prepared himself some coffee, and he turned on his radio, and he was just listening to a, a talk show on the radio. And the, the broadcaster, the, the person who was kind of hosting the show, had an elderly person's voice that was kind of the classic broadcaster's voice. It was just smooth and easy to listen to. And he was talking to somebody who had called in, and the caller had just finished sharing that they were struggling with something. They they were finding themselves so busy, so caught up in the career they were in and the goals that they were trying to achieve that they started to recognize they were missing key moments in their family's life. So this person I had called in was missing key moments in his children's life and was missing uh, kind of the family pivotal marking points as time was going on. And he was trying to figure out how he was going to prevent this from happening. He knew he didn't need to do something, but he wanted to just share this frustration. So the broadcaster went ahead and said, you know what, I'm going to tell you something that I did several years ago. And what he did was he figured out, and we're not told how, but he figured out that the average lifespan was 75 years. Went ahead and multiplied 52 weeks by 75, it was 3,900 weeks. It was the average lifespan. And then he sat down and he thought about where he was at in life and how far away from 75 he was. And he measured out that he had about 1,000 weeks left. And so then he got in his car and he drove to all the local toy stores and bought as many marbles as he could until he came up with a thousand. Then he went ahead and got a jar and he poured all the marbles into the jar. And every Saturday he would do this. He would go to his jar, he would open the lid, he would take one of the marbles and he would throw it away. And over time he started seeing his weeks, his time diminish and then he said something that was kind of impactful to me. He, says, he said to the caller in this story that watching the container lose marbles and watching my time pass away like that is, is what has helped me keep my priorities straight. And I thought, this is an interesting exercise. What if we were to measure out how many marbles, how many weeks we may have from now until 75? And if we could just imagine what that would be like. If we were to go into the local stores and we were to round up as many marbles as we needed to measure from now until we get to 75, and then we were to pour them into our jar and leave them in a place in our house that would remind us that this is representation of how many weeks left we have, how large our window of opportunity is if we live the average lifespan, which is not a guarantee. And then over time, as each Saturday, we come and we remove marbles and the seasons of our life begin to pass before our very eyes and stages become to the end of our life where there is an amazing amount of decreased marbles and then we get to the final marble. I wonder how much of an impact that would make on us when we remove that final marble that week and we look at where our life has gone and what it was spent on what kind of investment we made with it it would have a tremendous refining effect on us because the reality is time does not slow down for any of us it, it does not accommodate our desires it does not allow us to recoup time that has been lost. And I, I know that uh, by me saying what I'm about to say it might seem kind of odd because I may seem a bit younger uh, than, than most. But, um, you know, it was around 10 years ago that I, I, real, I thought to myself, I, I remember thinking in my young 20s, early 20s, I have, I, have, I have more than enough time. I mean, time is on my side, Right? And so I didn't really feel to, so anxious about certain things. And then maybe because 30 has that effect, I'm not really sure, but it was about a year ago that I turned 30 and I, I was starting to reflect on where this decade had gone and I started to recognize something. And then this year when I turned 31, something happened. I, uh, maybe it's not for the first time, but it just kind of clicked. It, like, it just feels more and more like life is just going so fast. And no matter how much I would crave my 20s, they, they are gone. I'm no longer in my 20s. And of course, my wife reminds me that she is. And, you know, and she's having a good time. And, 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 you know, and, and the thing is, the reality is that so much of our life is spent in the nitty gritty of the daily activity, the goals and the the, the successes we want to see happen, the different achievements we are pursuing, and if we're not careful, although we may know what our priorities are, isn't it so amazing how easy it is to lose traction of them? And in weekends like this where we are given as a culture an opportunity to reflect where our time is going and where the investment of this opportunity is being spent, some of us may actually be frustrated because it just hasn't gone where we wanted it to go. Or some of us may be caught up in a sense of wishing for that time back again. And the truth is, it it just doesn't happen. But what we are given is the present and the hope of a future future. And so how we engage this opportunity, it makes all the difference, especially if we seek to engage it with a focus on what the Lord wants to do through us. It's a powerful dynamic. And this is why I love the disciples because I feel so at home with them. See, in, in, in the accounts of Jesus and him journeying through life with his disciples, what we see is a, a group of men who are so easily distracted and so easily taken off of the assignment that they have before them. And then we have Jesus, who is just amazingly tenacious with this focus, who is able to love them, patiently gear them, and, and direct them, correct them, instruct them towards remaining focused on the assignments God has for them. And, and it's a powerful dynamic when we see it, because it's so much of the Lord's way with us. And so I'm hoping that as we see this account, we would start to hear his word for us emerge. And we use this as sort of a launching point for how we would posture ourselves for the weeks ahead. In fact, if we open up, we're going to start out in John 9. We're told that as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind. He was he was blind from birth. And so we don't know how he knows this. We just know it's kind of a known fact. From the minute he was born, he could not see. And this caused the disciples to ask a question. They were walking, and it happened. It, we're not told here, but it happened on what known as the Sabbath, on the day of the Sabbath, the day of rest. And they were walking near the temple, and they, they see this man. The disciples become curious, and they ask in verse 2, they say, Rabbi. His disciples ask him, why was this man born blind? And then they reveal how their paradigm affects how they interpret this. They say, why was this man born blind? Uh, Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Uh, Because our, our paradigm, Lord, is that if something wrong is happening to somebody or bad is happening to somebody, it must be the result of bad behavior. And so since that's the case, who was it? Who did wrong that he was now born blind? Was it him? As ridiculous as they might sound, because he was born that way. Was it him? Is there any way that we don't understand that he did something wrong? Or was it his parents that now he is bearing the judgment of it? And Jesus responds in a way that kind of steps outside of their framework, which... I enjoy, because he does that to us all the time. He he says to them in verse three, he says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Uh, uh, Neither. Wrong question. It was, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Uh, We should be asking what God's about to do. That's the question. And you're hung up on the why this is happening, but I'm telling you, neither, neither of those options. It's because God is about to do something so powerful through this man's life that it's going to cause such a stir. People can't help but notice that God is on the move. And then almost as if filled with a bit of urgency that they may miss a certain point Jesus wants them to uh, receive, he turns the corner on them. He disengages from the discussion about the blind man. And he turns towards them and he addresses the disciples. And he says this to them. He says, we must quickly, in verse 4, we must quickly. Notice the, the, the choice of words. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. Why? Because the night is coming, and then no one can work. There will be a day when this opportunity will no longer be there. And I want you to understand this, he says to them. That should be our primary concern. And then he reveals something about what he knows about himself in verse five. But while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He clearly demonstrates that he knows, Jesus knows who he is and he knows what purpose he is meant to fulfill. And as he triggers, maybe an inward focus within the people that he's talking to, and as this profound thought enters their mind and they're taken to the implications of it it's just to me I, I just enjoy the Lord even more because we're told that right as he finished telling them this he says that then he started to spit on the ground which I think is just man it's just tough right it's just awesome so he's just like listen you need to focus on what God is doing right now through you and then he turns around and he starts spitting <laughs> and then he gets down and he said we're told that in verse 6 that he, he spit on the ground made mud with the saliva and he went ahead, he, he goes ahead, and he does this enough to cause mud to be coming out of the ground. He grabs the mud, and then he spreads it on the man's... We're told that he spreads the mud over the blind man's eyes, which is kind of interesting to me, because maybe the blind man was listening to the conversation, but he was never actually addressed. And maybe he's listening that they're talking about him, but he, there was no warning. Mud is coming to your face, and all of a sudden, this mud is just spread all over. He's like, oh, okay, okay, I, I don't okay, all right, you know? And then all of a sudden, Jesus, after spreading this without saying anything, he just kind of puts it on his face with a whole bunch of his spit and he says, um, "He says, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which, which means sent. And he goes and the man went and washed and came back seeing. And this moment became the epicenter of an enormous controversy. Who did this? Why was it done today? Clearly, this is a result of some measure of work, a miracle. And why was it done on the day we were not supposed to work? And the man who was born blind, who was in many ways the bystander, became the center of the religious leaders' scrutiny and his entire family was drawn into this discussion. It ended up becoming a ripple effect for what would later happen in Jesus' life. The leaders used this as a launching moment to see how to trap him. But as powerful as that dynamic is, as powerful as what the Lord, the light of the world came to do, to give sight to the blind, that in some ways was a result Of what I would like us to hang on to. Because prior to stepping into that moment. Prior to seeing this opportunity before him. And Jesus being so in tune with what God was doing. That he stepped into it. He clarified some things to the disciples. And I'd like us to see what he emphasized. And see if we could allow that to become a filter for us. As we launch into the opportunity this new year brings. I would like to say that, firstly, Jesus, he clearly emphasized some things. He emphasized that we all have tasks assigned to us by the Lord, didn't he? And this may be, for some of us, this may be a basic, fundamental way of life by now. And yet for others of us, this may be brand new. It may become a filter, a paradigm by which we project what our days may look like. And so instead of making a list of resolutions that would just kind of improve ourselves as good as that may be, perhaps we can start asking the filtering question, Lord, what are your assignments for me? Is this task that I want to engage with, is this one you have for me to move into? What if we framed our year, our time, our window of opportunity in this way? Because this is important for us to understand. See, we have to see that this life we've been given has been given for a reason. And Paul wanted to emphasize this. He, he told in that letter to the Ephesians, he wanted them to start seeing themselves a certain way. He wanted them to start transforming how they saw themselves and as a result, how they saw what they were stepping into. And he says in Ephesians 2.10, he says, listen, we are God's masterpiece. And, and, and if, we, if we have chosen to follow Jesus, he has created us anew in him. Why? So we can do good things he has planned for us long ago. We have been given such a measurable grace, forgiveness, and love so that we can then be freed up to step into the assignments He has for us. I just wonder who are the people in our lives that He has assigned? Who are the coworkers that right now we may be working with on a project that we may not have? this time frame any longer. And we're supposed to be the ones speaking words of life and encouragement that are arrows and steps back to the one who gives life. Who are the people that are wrestling through questions that are really opportunities and invitations for us to speak up about the one who answers the cry of the soul? Who are the people we're supposed to love and devote our capacities to What are the assignments, the tasks, the good works that we have been framed to complete? What do those look like? Because once we become clear on his assignments for us, his tasks for us, his sacred entrustments, well, then we can move in to what Jesus was so good at. Because Jesus modeled an incredible ability to remain focused on his assignment Didn't he? Because once we answer the question of our assignments, then we get to decide if we're actually going to utilize this opportunity or squander it. It is one thing to know our assignment. It's one altogether different to do our assignment. And in order to do it, it requires a tremendous amount a focus and what what the disciples were innocently asking was the why's of life why did this happen and I don't know about you but I am so easily drawn to these questions that end up not helping me now why did that happen why did this not happen why is it that when I, was, when I was supposed to get this expectation met by doing this, it didn't, it didn't fulfill itself? And if we could hear it, maybe the Lord is saying, listen, some questions won't be satisfied on this side of eternity. The real question is, what are you assigned to do? And for some of us, uh, the need to release certain things and let go of certain things is what this looks like. A focus looks like surrendering certain things so we can be freed up to do what he wants us to do. Or maybe for some of us, it may mean carving out some time in our day, not just to have time with God but because of what God has to say to us in that time because in the nitty-gritty of life in the constant activity of day-to-day hour by hour week to week it's so hard to see the larger focus and so when we step back and step into communion with the one who has created the world around us our horizon widens and our span of sight becomes larger and we're able to see what God is doing in our midst so we can step into it with clarity within a degree of being in sync with what his timing for us might be. Or maybe some of us, it may not just be a matter of uh, us doing something. It may be a matter of restructuring our life so that we can devote our energy, our resources, our skill set, our, who, who we are to the assignments he's given to us. Or maybe we engage into relationships with other people, that we give them permission and we ask them, we invite them to help us stay on track because we are so easily distracted. I think such a powerful tool is something like this that will show us week in and week out the diminishing of our window of opportunity, which is no guarantee but as we see things dwindle and as we see time pass before us, perhaps some of us will gain a bit of courage that requires us to step into some fearful things within ourselves that need to be addressed. And maybe this is the year we live in breakthrough. Maybe this is the year we live with a lighter heart Because we know our window of opportunity is diminishing by each day. And now is the time. Now is the time to address certain things. Now is the time to heal certain relationships. Now is the time to forgive. Now is the time to step into these opportunities. To remain vigilant and focused. Never growing weary in well-doing. Knowing that we will get our reward if we remain faithful. Because what Jesus really was communicating was a measure of urgency, wasn't he? He said to them, the night is coming for all of us. The window of opportunity will close for all of us one day. So if we could just think about that in terms of our life is the final point here. The night is coming for all of us. No matter who we are. That day is coming. And, you know, I went ahead after reading this several years ago and letting it sit in me for some time. Went ahead and purchased as many marbles as I needed from now to 75 and put them in this jar. And, uh, you know, I was reminded. I was reminded of how uh, much this is no guarantee. Several months ago, I was able to go to Half Dome, and I was able to go to, which, if we don't know what Half Dome is, it's basically this boulder of a rock sitting in Yosemite that, uh, I don't know when, they decided to put cables down the most flat part of it. On either side, it's just sheer cliff, and you're able to climb to the summit of it, and you just see this amazing view of the summit and of the valley, um, it's just a powerful experience, and I had never gone before, and so I was pretty excited. I, I kind of enjoy the outdoors, the wilderness, and so we went, my, the youth pastor and I, uh, here, we went together, and we were driving up, and uh, the night before, we went up with a group of others, about 15 others' friends. Um, I had a conversation with somebody that I highly respect, and it was kind of drizzly, it was rainy uh, in, that, in that time. And um, he pulled me aside, and he says, So you going after him? I said, yeah. And he had been, and he says, okay. And I was very excited, right? And he could just kind of note that I was excited. And he says, now, I want you to understand something. This is serious. This is no joke. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's not a joke. And he says, no, you can die. I said, well, okay. That's really comforting. Um, but he says, I'm serious. Um, you can die up there. you slip and fall you're done people die and given this word of encouragement I (laughs) was driving home and I I was letting it sink in I couldn't avoid it he's not a man given over to exaggeration and so that night as I was thinking about it I started thinking about the possibility my good tomorrow I could be game over And so I texted my parents. (laughs) I went and found my wife, and I hadn't said anything to her. I decided that wouldn't be smart. (laughs) But I held her extra long, kind of to the point of awkwardness. You know, it's like, okay, all right, what's going on? And uh, went to bed, kind of just praying about it. Wow, this is serious. And I remember the next day driving up and just kind of reflecting on it. It It's kind of eerie, morbid in a way driving towards the place where it might be over. <laughs> and I want to do this. It's like... <laughs> And we get there, and we, there's a hike before you get to the Half Dome, and so on the hike, you know, it's just kind of like, this is refreshing, and it's just great atmosphere, and it's just beautiful scenery, and we're all together, and we're having a good time, and so we get to the very bottom of the climb, and you just see the sheer enormity of it, and at certain points, it looks, it's not, but it looks like a 90 degree angle straight up, and it's like, my gosh. And at that point, three, you know, several guys said, I'm not going. And uh, they went ahead and off to the side. And so I took my pack off, left it with him, lightened my load a little bit. And the way we, we structured it is we had all gloves and everything, but we had the person that may be struggling a little bit more in front of us, and the person that could encourage behind them. And so I had somebody in front of me that I was meant to encourage and help up. And I had never held on to cables so tightly before. I mean, I was like burning them through my hand almost. You could just feel the intensity of it, right? And at some points I, I, I felt the slippery nature of the rock and kind of there were these spaces between uh, wood steps and, and those are kind of the more terrifying spaces and I remember at a certain point uh, we were uh, going up and it was gaining some confidence in this adventure and all of a sudden at the very top somebody because there's this line of people going up the very top somebody who had a camera their lens cap fell off and it, you could just hear it start rolling down right next to us and Nobody everyone stopped talking stop moving you could just hear the knocking sound on the rock and Then for whatever reason when it got to my foot it decided to throw itself off the mountain and I just never saw it again and Just realized how real this is and We keep going and at that point I'm just like feeling deep fear with you know kind of an exhilarating rush that I cannot believe why am I doing this and I'm going up and we get to the halfway point and the guy in front of me his legs decide to do something that no legs should ever do in that moment it cramps up and he falls onto the wooden step and my assignment is to encourage him and so I think to myself I don't want to die. So my form of encouragement is I start yelling at him. Get up! What are you doing? And all of a sudden, he starts screaming in pain. And so I get down, and I massage his leg. And I'm just, like, working that <laughs> cramp out of him. And he finally gets enough, loose enough, where he gets up, and I just start pushing him. Now he's not, I don't care. You just get Get And it's like no looking back moment. And we just run up, and he's limping up, and I'm pushing him up and yelling him up. And we get to the very top, and we he just comes over, and he just hugs me and you know grabs me. He's like, we did it. And I was like, I didn't die. And we're sitting down <laughs> at the top, and you could just see the top of the mountain. The experience is just amazing. And at a certain point, I just remember getting up there and yelling. It's just like exhilarating, right? And all of a sudden, as we're celebrating together and all we're taking pictures and everything, we see this man come over the face of the rock just kind of climb over from the rock and he gets up and then his friend comes over he had just climbed the face of it from the very bottom and it's like well okay we did nothing (laughs) might as well just go home now you know and we got to know him and there was nice guys who flew in from Australia to climb it and it's amazing you know But when we start to recognize how fragile our life is and the possibility that our night may be coming sooner than we expect or maybe we're sitting there knowing that our days are diminished, it's amazing what a powerful effect it has, isn't it, when we start to recognize the people we truly love and care about and the relationships that God has entrusted us with. And the opportunity this life is for us. And you could sense the urgency when Jesus said we must quickly go about doing what he has assigned us to do. There is no guarantee. And so when we have the chance, jump into it. Step into it. Live your life in such a way that you see it right in front of you and you're able to step into it and you become a life-giving messenger. Don't be careless with this. Take full advantage of this opportunity. It's powerful. It's powerful because what we have in Jesus is a great role model. I mean, what if we took our moments and the people we have in our lives and we lived with them with such intention, with such clarity, that we invested ourselves with love and care and patience and forgiveness And his grace were to penetrate. What would it do to our work environments? What would it do to our families, our relationships, the way we talk to each other? How would that affect the people maybe we may take for granted? What kind of powerful impact would that have in our culture? Because maybe in a moment where darkness threatens to overshadow us, his light can shine the brightest through us. Maybe when hope seems to be on the diminishing slope, his power is able to fuel us in such a way that in the midst of our broken world, we see his life surging and moving. We see his healing effect flowing through us. And maybe we see his miraculous work in such a way that people cannot deny his existence. He's the man who only lived 33 years, revolutionized human history. May we take this year, may we take this opportunity with such a degree of intention that his assignments for us are fulfilled. And whether we live to 75 or past, we can say, when the night comes, Lord, I did my best. I did my best by your grace. Something of your work was fulfilled. In a moment, we're going to be receiving our time of giving and we're going to be sharing in a song. It's called Wake Up. And this song is really a challenge for us to stand up And do something. And so as we receive it, I would like us, if we could, to think about the people, the assignments, the tasks the Lord may have for us. Where we're supposed to wake up, be alert, engage with, and make the best use of this window of opportunity we've been given. May this be our best year yet. May it truly be that in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you decided to enter our world and you decided to invite us into your, your plan that can never be snuffed out, your goodness and your love and your light that can never be extinguished. May you help us, Lord. Embrace the assignments you have for us. Embrace the light you have given us to shine. And would you give us the courage, Lord, to step into these opportunities, to address certain things that may uh, distract us and to be able to urgently not allow time to pass by, not allow these windows of opportunity to be wasted on us, but help us be full of good works that others may see them and give glory to you in heaven. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.